When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Podcast got Sean Hackett back here from Hackett Financial talking about what's going on in the marketplace. So, Sean, how you doing, bud? I'm doing really good, Casey. Very, very good. The uh, bit of a bit of a wet week for us here. I think we got close to seven inches of rain out here um, over the uh, over the past week, and in this whole kind of general area where we're at, anywhere from three inches all the way up to I think there's even some places that might have gotten eight inches of rain. So. Tons of rain get fell out here in some very dry, dry parts of the uh, of the west. Um, a lot of snow got added to the uh, to the western uh, Rocky Mountains, and even on the other side of the western slope. Um, and then just just a very ample um, moisture pattern, even through the south and and up into uh, uh, the northern parts of the uh, of the Corn Belt. So I guess Sean, take a look at all that. I know it's hard to say that the uh, the drought's been broken in the west, but this sure did add uh, some points to uh, the wind column. Yeah, I don't think the West is going to have a problem. It's, it's never been our focus for this coming growing season. Um, the way the pattern is shifting with La Nina going away, and 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 it's just the West is going to be fine. If the ridge, go, if the high pressure ridge is over central eastern grain belt, then on the periphery, which is going to be your western grain belt, they're going to get good rainfall, big crop. They're going to have the big crops this year. 
you know, versus the last couple of years where the ridge was over you guys. Right. And the Eastern Grain Belt, the Central Grain Belt got good rains and big crops, but you guys didn't get it. So I just think it's a role reversal. I'm not anticipating any major drought or problems with Texas and the, you know, all that Western Grain Belt area into the Dakota. I think you guys are going to be fine. Totally fine. It's, it's, it's going to be more of that central Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, you know, that, that region in there, a little south, a little north, that I think if we're to focus on where a crop problem could surface, that's where I would look at it. And that's really how you actually get a major crop problem. So, so far, <clears throat> if you look at the precipitation deficits, uh, and if you look at what the models are projecting into the end of the month, the biggest deficits and pretty significant deficits are in your central eastern grain belt uh, come the end of May. Now, now that's been fantastic for planting, by the way, meaning that we started off the planting season with good moisture from the winter. We've had at least in the central eastern grain belt, we it, even though rains have been below normal, we've had a little bit, which is but but so we've had a little bit of rain, but it, but at the same time it's been fairly dry, and that means planters rock. So we got the numbers last night and showed we're way ahead on planting corn, way ahead on planting soybeans, way ahead on emergence. Um, so it's a fantastic, one of the very best planting seasons, you know, in a very long time. And so that has been the reason that these grain markets have been kind of crashing. And, um, and you know, and obviously we're going to have some, some warmer, drier weather here in mid, late May. And so the planters are going to kind of finish it all up. So I, it's hard to find a way for the grain markets to rally, in my opinion, the next one to two weeks when all that's going on. I think we think we just need to get planting done um, and behind us as a market focus. And then we can focus on June 1st, which starts really officially starts the growing season. So for now, probably another few weeks of bearish trade. Um, and then what was a good thing, which is dry weather in the mid central grain belt then becomes not so good if it continues into mid late june obviously if it continues into january uh, into uh, july the next thing we're going to be looking forward or for here is whether we can get the heat to come in and there is starting to show up some significantly above normal heat for you know the midwest especially the central north central eastern grain belt at the end of the month It'll be our first major above normal week uh, since the spring started. Um, you know, one week doesn't make a trend, but every trend starts with one week. So right. um, we'll be looking to see if that's just a, a one-off thing or that's starting to set the summer pattern. Because what you're really looking for, we say this all the time, June really does not matter much. You, we've, we've had years where the driest June on record, the hottest June on record, July we get good rainfall or cools down or or both and the crops phenomenal. So, but June sets the weather pattern for July. So, the most important thing to identify is what kind of a summer weather pattern are we setting up for between the end of May, let's say the middle of June. What are we setting up? Are we setting up some kind of a semi-permanent dome? Um, you know, a, a high pressure ridge, every, you know, a stagnant weather. And what are we setting up? And that's really what we're going to be looking for to see if, you know, we're going to have something more sinister. I'm pretty comfortable with the dry weather continuing, but it's got to be dry and hot, dry and cool. 
it'll it, it's not going to hurt the crop enough to to create more than just a look. Most years, Casey, you know, we get a, we get a weather scare. I mean, almost every single year, the you know corn will go up for a little while, and it you know it happens most years. And that's not I'm talking about something more attractive than that to the upside. I think the potential is there with the record sea surface temperatures we have. I think the potential is there because of the negative Pacific decadal oscillation. Um, but obviously, we have to see that the weather is setting up that way. The other thing to keep in mind is that the Bermuda high, um, which sets up at the end of May, June, is very important to the pattern, as well as the mid-North mid Pacific high. We went back and looked at uh, all your major drought and looked at the positioning of how strong those high-pressure systems needed to be and where they were located, longitude and latitude, um, that set up that central mid-eastern grain belt um, kind of ridge, high-pressure ridge. And so far, if you look at the long-term models going into mid-June, and they're, they're showing that both oceans are setting up a high-pressure system in the right location, and it needs to be 10, 24 millibars of high pressure strength. And both are projecting 10, 24, 1,024 millibars of, of high pressure strength. So, you know, if that those high pressures do set up there, then we would be expect to see that ridge really become semi-permanent in the center of the country. Um, so that's what we're going to be looking for. Uh, there's other factors like global angular momentum that typically needs to come down into negative territory, which um, is positive right now, but it is looking at, it is, it is looking to be weakening into the end of the month. So, so a lot of things we'll be looking at, but I do think the odds are there that we could have an elevated chance for us, not in your area, but in the central Eastern grain belt. I don't, I I'm think we're going to have a, one of the best growing seasons in your, in the Western grain belt in a very long time. That's my overall belief. So good news, Sean, if you live in the West. If you live in the West, it's great news. That's and don't don't great. feel don't feel so bad for people in Iowa, Illinois. You know they'll they'll be you know they'll go from three fifty bushel to two fifty bushel, but yeah. they'll still have a lot of corn to sell. So don't feel too bad for them. Yeah, they'll still make more on a bad year than we make on a good year. So, but you know, losing that kind of high yield ground oh, yeah. takes the overall average down a lot. It really um, does. Yeah. So. Yep. All right. So, speaking of. Western grain belt, you start the uh, um, hard red winter wheat tour starts today. Uh, the Wheat Quality Council uh, annual tour goes through Kansas and remote areas of surrounding states. Excuse me. And the surrounding states. And it kicks off this morning in Manhattan, Kansas, like it always does. And they go from Manhattan, they kind of spread out like locusts and go from uh, Manhattan West and end up in Goodland, I believe, is where they stop at uh, for the year. So, Sean, taking a look at the, uh, kind of what you've seen happen so far what's your expectations of this and then what do you think the trade is looking for that's going to move the needle on this or the the, the kc wheat market got crushed when the rains came right and then the usda said are you nuts too late mm -hmm. and they put it all back on and a little bit more so now what the market's gonna be looking for is the u.s is that they going to agree with the usda Right. Or, or are they going to say it's worse than the USDA, or is it better than the USDA? But they, they, you know, we had the rope with dope. All oh, rains are great. The USDA says, "Are you nuts?" And now the the Kuala Wheat Board is going to 
give their take. And so I think the market's going to gauge what they say relative to what the USDA stated. Um, and I don't know what the wheat board will say. I can't imagine the crop's going to be good. Could they say it's a little better than the USDA? It's possible. You know, there's nothing like I can tell you probably fairly uh, confidently that the USA probably hasn't done the work that the quality wheat board is going to be doing this week in determining wheat yields in the field. I would have to believe that um, USA probably hasn't done that kind of detailed work. So I would definitely be um, taking what they say with a, with, a, with a much stronger conviction than what the USDA said, which makes all kinds of mistakes all the time. But that's what the market's going to be gauging it, you know, because it, 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 it's, it, it's now in the in the zone, and of course we have these um, turkey elections, which is now coming into a runoff apparently. And what does that mean for the corridor deal, extension, non-extension, you know, all those kind of things. So um, anyway, I you know, like I said, it'll be very interesting to, to see the day by day reports from the week. Where I think it's two or three days they do this, and then. Uh, and then they kind of come up with their final conclusion. My suspicion, looking at a lot of these tours, is that they probably will say in the end that the crop's a little bit better than what the USDA said. That's my suspicion. That's typically what happens. That you know, from afar, from from looking down out, you know, outside in, oh, it's it's a disaster. But doing the kind of tour they do, I my suspicion is. They're going to say terrible, but not quite as bad as what the USDA said. And if that's true, we might need to take some wheat premium back off. Not, I'm not saying go back to where we were, but we might need to take some of this premium off. The market might have overshot to the upside now. And maybe got a little too excited. You know, geopolitics notwithstanding, they might have overplayed to the upside, just like they overplayed how important the range were. I know that the condition report last night, if it actually matters anymore, said that the uh, KC wheat crop, uh, well, you know, hard red winter wheat crop um, improved, you know, improved a little bit, according to them, USDA. Whether that matters much or not, you know, the, the quality report is going to tell us, right? They're going to tell us. So I'm really looking forward to it. They do a really good job. I really look forward to their tour every year. It really kind of sets the, it, it really clears the decks and gets all the hyperbole off the market and tells us straight up. That doesn't mean they're, they're, doesn't mean their crop tour is perfect either. No one, there is no perfect crop tour, but it's it's a it's it's the best benchmark we can get at this stage of the game. So that's my suspicion right now. Probably they're going to say it's a little better than the USDA said. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, so we're seeing like next thing I'm going to talk to you about was the hard red winter wheat on their pro farmers quality index or whatever you want to call it now. Inches up and uh, but remains at historical lows. So I mean, yeah, it might have gotten better, but you're still putting lipstick on a pig type of thing. And you know, what's that ultimately? How pretty is that pig going to be at the end of the end of the show? Yeah, I I, I don't think it, could, you know, it. I'll never say that rains can improve a little bit, you know, but it's probably not going to be much. I, mean, I think the damage is done, and you know, the keys. The other game that you have to be careful of is that. So many acres are going to be zeroed out and abandoned because there's nothing there that maybe the ground that actually is harvested, maybe the yields will be better. 
just because you're getting rid of all the the right. acres that they're just they're not they're just zeroing them out. They're not even gonna they're not even gonna be calculated into the equation. So the yield goes up, but the harvest acres goes way down. Right. So yeah. your number, you know, it's like oh the yield's better than we thought. Yeah, but the, look at the you gotta look at the production. The actual production is going to be terrible because I don't know. You have to be very careful. The market tries to get caught up in what's the yield? What's the yield? Yield's important. But it's total production that counts, and I think that the, the that the yield actually might surprise to the upside, but the acreage, the harvest acres, might surprise to the downside. When you look at the equation, it is it's still going to show very very poor crop. It's just a question of, like I said, is it as bad as USDA claimed, or is it trying just a little bit better? On the margin, it's it's it it, it, it there's no good outcome here, and it's just now it comes down to. Um, What's Russia going to do with selling wheat wheat, as we talked about before? Because if they back away and say, you know, we're going to tax the hell out of our exports so our farmers can't make any money, which means they're not going to sell. And and they and the cash, the, the Russia cash price goes up 20%. Well, then our prices can go up 20% because there's no reason for them not to, because we don't have any wheat for the high quality stuff. So that's to me. Yes, the quality report is going to be important to kind of put the final touches on what's actually out there and have the market correctly assess. But they're correctly assessing relative to the Russia current low bid or low offer. Okay. Um, so once that's established, then from that point forward, winter wheat's going to be completely driven by what the Russia is, Russia decides to do with their exports. Now, the spring wheat issue is an entirely different ballgame because we're now planting it way behind, which is not a surprise. Um, you know, and so that is going to be a weather market potentially, right? That's that's driven by mother nature, whereas the winter wheat's gonna trade, it's you know, what we just said. So obviously the one market that has not gotten up to a great start is spring wheat in northern plains and Canada, it's dry as a bone and that has the potential to be a problem depending on how the growing season goes. And when you look over in Russia, uh, they claim that they're planting a record amount of spring wheat acres this season. Um, but when you look at the whole Ural region there where they grow all the spring wheat, it's very, very dry. It's, um, so I, it sounds to me like they're planting a lot of spring wheat in some pretty unfavorable dry conditions with not a lot of moisture. And so they may have planted a lot, but they may not harvest anywhere near as much if the dry weather persists, which I believe that it's going to. So spring wheat more is more of an interesting market from a weather perspective. Obviously with winter wheat, it's pretty much over. We're just trying to figure out how much is actually there. So. Yeah. All right. Um, lastly, man, excuse me. Lastly, let's talk a little bit about over on the protein side of the business here. If you're taking a look at cash cattle and live cattle and all those kind of different <clears throat> breakups there, we're still seeing some some strong uh, reports there. Um, we're still seeing things move around. Cattle last week uh, averaged 174.13 last week, up 20 cents from the previous week, and it seems like that's kind of what we're hearing um, over and over again. Sean, looking at the cattle market, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, obviously the cattle price remains very, very strong. It was good to see that the pork cutout price yesterday 
or last couple of days has had a nice move off the lows. So maybe we're finally starting to see that switch <laughs> that we've been expecting to see, you know, where people say, all right, I can't afford to pay the pay the beef price anymore, but that that pork price looks pretty attractive. We might we, we might be seeing that rotation beginning. If we are seeing that rotation, then we might see some softening in that cash price uh, as we move into the end of the month. Too early to tell. Um, I found it very interesting. JBS, the largest producer of pork, chicken, and beef in the world. That's that there's they're a Brazilian company, but they have plants all over the world. Mm-hmm. Came out with probably the worst quarter from a profitability standpoint that they've ever had because every single part of their business is under pressure. And and then, I mean they're as smart as a whip and they have a global network. They know everything and they're not making any money. Um, you know, taking, you know, taking cattle and taking hogs and taking chickens and, and selling them. So at some point, if JBS, one of the best operations in the world, can't make any money, uh, you know, then I'm thinking that they're going to pull back um, on buying animals until they can make money again right i mean if you're if you're not making money at the current end user price versus what you have to pay for the animals then they're going to pull back until they can and so you know i just found that quarterly conference call that they just recently had just a couple of friday i think it was it's just a wake-up call you know that at the end of the day everybody in the food chain you know uh will do what's in their best interest and what's in JBS's best interest right now is to pull less animals through um, until they make money, meaning until the end user price improves to a point where they can make money and then they'll go buy the animals again. So I'd be a little cautionary on that. You know, obviously we know, uh, I don't know if you saw, but Brazil said they found some wild birds, you know, had all that. Um, uh, you know, bird flu, and we know what happened when we found some wild birds a year ago in the U.S. And then, about six months later, it was fifty-two million birds were killed because of the trying to eradicate or keep it under control. And so, pretty hard to control wild bird migration and what it's going to do. So, you it's just tough right now. So, when you if you look if bird flu is going to really crank down there like it is here, and you know. The, hot, the cattle business is not very profitable for these guys because the cattle prices just set so high. And I don't know, you know, it just, it's not, it's just, it's just a tough time for everybody in the food chain right now. I don't see anyone making a lot of money right now. So, you know, the only place that I think um, the economics are probably in the packing, pack, packing houses flip favor is that the U S hog price is, uh, attractive if the pork cutoff price can improve, right? So all I'm trying to say is, is that I know, you know, end user demand is important. And I know that for beef, which was the original question, that it has remained stronger than one would have thought. But I think that the issue is going to be not that the demand necessarily goes down, it just that the packing, the packers just pull back on purchases because, they, they just have no interest in bringing the animals through if they can't make money. And so I would just, wor- I worry about that a little bit on the, on the cattle side of the equation um, because the cow price is high. So right. you have a high standard that you have to meet. The hog price is low, but the, 
but the pork cutout price is low. But it wouldn't take much of a, a pork cutout price increase, Casey, to make that profitable and to make the Packers want to move some some hogs through if they can get those margins in place. So I, I would say I'm optimistic, more optimistic on the hog situation right now than I am on the cattle situation for what I just said. Yep. So, All right, Sean. Hey, good stuff as usual. Folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what's happening in the world of Hackett Financial. What's the best way to do that? Uh, one, one area is to go to our website at Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. Our Twitter page at Feridex, F-E-R-I-D-E-X 11, or they can check our LinkedIn page from time to time. We will post interviews that we do with different entities to cut that goes over our weather cycles, our for price forecasting, and, and kind of lays some of the foundational uh, objective approach that we take with statistics and correlations and cycles. So good stuff, man. Sean, appreciate you being on the podcast. Thanks, Casey. Always a pleasure. Right on. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast and check out the video version over on the YouTube channel, which is the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. Check that out there. Uh, looking for a thousand subscribers. So help me out there and go out and subscribe. I'm like halfway there. So if you want to see Sean in person and live and what he actually looks like, which will blow your mind, okay, go check it out on the YouTube channel and see Sean right there. So Everything Moving Iron related is on movingironllc.com. Check out the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 11th through the 13th. you want more information on that, send me an email at movingironpodcast at movingironpodcast.com, and I'll get that over to you. Also, be one of the first 150 people to sign up, and you will get $50 discounts from our folks over at Axon. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Sean Hackett. It's Moving Iron, folks. Out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century.